This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. Jesus said, A little while, and you will no longer see me, and a little while, you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while? and you will see me, no longer see me, and a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They said, what does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they had wanted to ask him, so he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, a little while and you will no longer see me, and a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask nothing, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading this morning is from Philippians 1, 18b to 26. Paul said, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, 
so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Jesus Christ when I come to you again. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's great to be looking at God's word together today. Let me pray as we do so. Our gracious God, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So today when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, another month ahead in lockdown, at least. It's pretty disappointing. One of the things that I struggle with most, most in lockdown is the aimlessness and lack of structure. It's like it takes our carefully built plans and structures like a complicated Lego model and pulls it off the shelf and smashes it on the floor into thousands of tiny coloured pieces strewn all over the place. And this is hard and depressing for us because I think we're the kinds of people who like and thrive on goals and structure. They help us to make meaning and shape our lives. And that's why even in pandemics, we're told to put structures in place, to still get up at the, go to bed and get up at the same time, to get out of our jammies, to plan our days. That's why we want our leaders to not just improvise, but actually have a clear way out, a clear step-by-step plan for how we're going to get out of this together. One forceful account of structures and goals is by the management guru, Jim Collins, and he talks about a BHAG. What's a BHAG? Well, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And a BHAG is a clear and compelling focal point of effort, like eliminate the virus or put a person on Mars. A BHAG engages people. It reaches out and grabs them by the gut. It's tangible and energizing. But it can also be maybe a bit overwhelming and terrifying. And we have BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals as individuals as well. Living debt-free. Seeing your grandchildren grow up. Starting a business. To raise healthy, happy kids. Living securely in the place where you want to live. All fine goals. But the Apostle Paul has a very different, big, hairy, audacious goal. And in today's passage, he challenges the Philippians and he challenges us to have this same goal. A goal that shapes our lives and challenges all of our other goals. And maybe sometimes might be a bit terrifying. So what is it? Well, this big, hairy, audacious goal is living and dying for Christ. Living and dying for Christ. And as we look at this passage from near the end of Philippians 1, there are three ways that, we, that Paul encourages us to live and die for Christ. And the first is to exalt Christ with boldness. To exalt Christ with boldness. Now, exalting Jesus with boldness, it's not about being a loud, obnoxious jerk. It's about having the everyday courage to display Jesus Christ in your life. Everyday courage to display Jesus Christ in your life. To speak about Christ and live his way so people know how great he is. 
Look at, how, look at the way that Paul aims to exalt Christ in verse 20. He says, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether life or by death. Now, Paul's under house arrest and he's staring down the barrel of execution, maybe even crucifixion. But he still says that he will not be ashamed because no matter what, Christ will be exalted. In the way that he speaks and in the way that he lives or dies. When it says there that by my speaking with boldness, it's literally by my boldness. So it's not simply speaking, but about also how we live boldly in light of who Christ is. So in the way that he speaks, in the way that he lives or dies, Paul displays how great Jesus is. That's all that matters to him, that Christ is exalted. So how do we exalt Christ with boldness and courageously display him in our lives? Well, for Paul, it begins with a foundational conviction that everything will turn out for his salvation. And Michael spoke about this theme last week, remember? And Paul mentions it again in verse 19. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know, Paul says, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance or salvation. Paul is convinced that whatever happens, he will be saved. And it's the same for you who trust in Jesus Christ. You have already been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. You are saved now as you experience God's spirit in you, God's forgiveness and renewal each day. And on that last day, there's no guessing, there's no lack of assurance. If you're trusting in Jesus, you will be saved and welcomed by God into his eternal glory. And so whatever you're facing now, no matter how bad it is, you can be absolutely sure you will be saved. And then this assurance is then a foundation for you that God has your back. So you can then live courageously, boldly exalting Jesus in everything you do in this life now. So what does this everyday courage and boldness look like? Well, did you notice that really striking verse in verse uh, 21 of Philippians? Paul says that for him, living is Christ. If you were to fill in that sentence for yourself, how would you do it? How would you say it? For me, living is... What would you say? Now, if you're listening today, it's likely that you're probably going to say Christ, though of course there may be people who, aren't, who don't follow Jesus just listening in today, you're very welcome too. But I think maybe we would say other things too, like for me, living is my family, my friends, the things I enjoy like art and music, my books, my money, my career. They're fine, of course, Paul says, just says, living is Christ. Christ only. He doesn't say anything else. And his point isn't that those other things are completely unimportant. The point is that Christ isn't just another item on a list. 
He isn't even just the first item on a list. He is the foundation of everything else. He's the ultimate reason to love your family, to serve others, to work hard, to steward your money. Exalting Christ boldly begins with putting Christ as the center and foundation of everything else in your life. And when Christ is that foundation, you can then boldly live his way. If you're in a situation, say, of conflict and tension, it's bold to speak words of healing and grace and peace. If you're in an environment where lies and truth-bending are normal, it's bold and courageous to begin to tell the truth. It's bold to use your money for Christ rather than feathering your own nest. Whether you've got not much at all or whether you've got a lot, it's always courageous to give to the needy and to the work of the gospel. One example of this uh, that I was just looking at recently is the organization Gospel Patrons. This is a collective of Christians who give sacrificially and boldly to the work of the gospel all over the world. Simon is one businessman I know who sees his vocation as a gospel patron. And I've seen personally in my own ministry and in ministries all over the place of the impact that his bold generosity has had all over the world. Is this how you could see yourself, part of your vocation as a gospel patron, boldly using your money for Christ? And it's bold to engage in ministries that stretch you. Uh, Earlier this week, I was meeting on Zoom with a young woman, uh, Maddie, as part of our church. Six months ago, she was unsure whether she was good enough to be a youth leader. But on Friday night, she gave her first youth talk. And that was bold and courageous. It was a big step for her, but she did it. And God spoke powerfully through her. So how can you be boldly involved in ministries that stretch you? And finally, it's bold to give your life over, your whole life over to Christian ministry. Serving full-time in a local church like Michael or Steph or me or the rest of the team or even going into the mission field, like any of our link missionaries. These are all just normal people. Now, it's not for everyone, but I'm sure that there are people watching today who really could and really should consider this. Is that you? Could that be you? Speaking and living boldly for Christ in that way. Well, that's the first way to live and die for Christ, to exalt Christ with boldness. The second way to live and die for Christ is to desire to be with Christ in death. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, this could just pass you by. But this is a really shocking idea, to desire to be with Christ in death. Look at verse 21 again. Remember, this is our memory verse for this part of Philippians. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Dying is gain, he says. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. He doesn't know whether he prefers life or death. I'm hard-pressed between the two, he says. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
what Paul really wants is to die and be with Christ. And it's not because he has a death wish. It's not because he's giving up hope. It's because he loves Christ so much and he knows that compared to anything he could possibly experience in in his life, that being with Christ is far better, far richer and far more satisfying. I had a PE teacher in school, Mr Chapman. He was our year advisor and he would round up our year together and he was a PE teacher so he'd He'd, he'd give us these pep talks, kind of like a Hollywood sports movie. You've only got one life, he'd say. Don't waste it. And, you know, you could see what he was getting at. But there's something about that that is so wrong. We don't have only one life. Yes, we have this one. But we have an eternal life that, if you're a Christian, is far greater will be far greater than this one. If you trust in Christ, death is never a waste. Now, of course, for us who were left behind, the loss and loneliness can be unbearable. But when a Christian dies, they have gained, not lost. And I think that we've lost this, lost a sense of this. We so rarely meditate on the gain of death. Richard Baxter was a pastor in the 17th century. He wrote a book called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. And it was an example of meditating on the rest that awaits. I'd like to email a copy to anyone of a section that I've got of this book. Uh, Just let me know in the comments or in the comment card. would love to send it on to you. But let me read some extracts that help us to meditate on the rest that awaits. He speaks about reunions with loved ones, about transformation and relief. Comfortable meeting of our old acquaintances with whom we prayed and wept and suffered. Voices of joy, not like our old complainings, our groans, our sighs, our impatient moans. Oh, my soul, you shall never never more bewail your suffering friends nor lie wailing over their deathbeds or their graves. You shall never suffer your old temptations from Satan, the world, or your own flesh. Oh, what blessed change is this. Farewell, sin and suffering forever. Farewell, my hard and rocky heart. Farewell, my proud and unbelieving heart. And now welcome. Most holy, heavenly nature, which, beholding the face of God, is full of God alone and delights in nothing else but Him. Farewell repentance and confession and welcome love and joy and praise. I shall now have my harvest and my wine without labor, my joy without a preacher or a promise even all from the face of God himself. Death is painful and frightening. But to be with Christ on the other side of death, there is nothing better. And that's why we can desire to be with Christ in death. 
But the third and final way to live and die for Christ is to see Christ glorified in others. Paul would love to depart and be with Christ, but he decides that it's better for him to stay with the Philippians. But why? Why does he want to stay with them? It's not just because he'd miss them, though he, he, he loves them and he remember he yearns for them with the, with the bowels, the guts of Jesus Christ, with the compassion of Christ. It's not because of that. It's because he wants to see them glorify Christ. That's what he wants most. Verse 25 continues, and I'm reading from the ESV translation here because it puts it a little differently and I think a little better. I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. If we want to have Jesus Christ as our big, hairy, audacious goal, we need to live to see Christ glorified in others, just like this. When you engage in church, when you come into the building, we look forward to that, or even when it's online, why are you doing it? Now, of course, it's a great way for us to worship God. And it's vital that we listen to him and grow ourselves. And then connecting with others is great for friendship. But one of the essential reasons that we meet as Christians is to help each other to grow and progress and glorify Christ. Now, if I'm honest, I I think we find this really hard. I think it's difficult for a lot of us to speak openly about spiritual things with each other. And to pray together, it can be awkward and confronting, especially when it's outside of the normal structures that we do it week to week. Paul longs to be with the Philippians so that he can help them progress. And so we should long to be with each other, to help each other progress as Christians, to help each other pray, to help each other keep trusting and keep loving and to remind each other of the hope of eternal life. And Paul longs to be with them so he can help them to experience the joy of being Christians. And so should we, to meet and read about God's greatness in the Bible, to pray with and for each other, to help each other experience and recover the joy of our faith. And so I I want to challenge you, challenge us today, After church or sometime this week, make a point to call someone or exercise with someone. And when you do, share with them how you are going and ask them how they're going spiritually. And pray for each other. You might feel uncomfortable, but it will be so good for them and so good for you. If your big, hairy, audacious goal is to live and die for Christ, you have to see Christ glorified in others. I want to finish with a word of personal testimony about this passage. This passage really challenged me this week. The last time I really wrestled with this passage was probably about 15 years ago. It was parts of the Bible like this that really shook me up and made me decide to go down the path of ministry in my life. 
I was young and zealous and keen as mustard and ready to die for a cause. I felt like I could really say, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. This week, as I looked at this passage, uh, I, I found it hard to come to it in quite the same way. You know, I'm 15 years older, I'm responsible for my family, I've made so many life decisions already, uh, things are pretty stable. And so today, could I really say, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain? I mean, could I really do something drastic that turned my life upside down for Christ? But what I realized is that I really can still have this big, hairy, audacious goal to live and die for Christ. But it's just going to look different. And so we can all have this goal too. This goal can seem over, might seem overwhelming and even terrifying. But it begins with a simple love for God, trust in Him and reliance on His grace. And as we've seen throughout everything I've been saying today, you, you can live it out in ways that look different for everybody. For some of you, living and dying for Christ might really mean turning your whole life upside down. And if you're hearing a call like that today, then don't ignore it. But for many of you, and probably for most of us, especially while we're in lockdown, it's going to look fairly mundane as we take those next courageous steps to exalt Christ boldly in all the small ways in our lives and to grow in our desire to be with Christ in death as we meditate on the hope that awaits us and to see Christ glorified in others as we love and serve the people around us however we can. How about I pray and ask for God's help as we seek to live like this? Our Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, for his zeal, for his desire to live and die for Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would help all of us to have this same goal in our lives, to live and die for Jesus Christ. Help us to consecrate, dedicate, hand over our whole lives to you. to throw ourselves into serving you and other people and yet to be yearning and looking to be with you in eternal life and glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.